Welcome to the If You Build It, Will They Learn podcast, a show dedicated to modern learning and development with your hosts, Daniel Mendonca and Scott Babcock. It's podcast day. Welcome to the show. This is If You Build It, Will They Learn. I'm Scott Babcock and with me as always is your co-host, Daniel Mendonca. Daniel, how are you today? Doing well, Scott. Episode seven, lucky number seven. Lucky sevens. Here we go. This is going to be a good one. I have a feeling uh, the luck of the sevens is with us. So uh, on today's topic, we are optimizing your learning objectives. We have talked about it on virtually every episode thus far. It's probably time we actually spent an entire show on this topic. So uh, we want to dive right in. But before we begin, as it would only be appropriate for a show about objectives, I want to make sure we set some objectives for our podcast today. So at the conclusion of today's episode, you will be able to define the needs of training in your organization, write objectives that refer to specific behavior change needs in your organization, and most importantly, probably, you will be able to recommend the If You Build It, Will They Learn podcast to your coworkers, peers, and friends, as well as rate on all of your social media. So insert shameless plug now. That's basically what you said there. All right, so Scott, when it comes to objectives, um, the you know one of the things that that we really start to have the conversation around. Everybody says like, okay, we have a learning, and let's let's start. What objectives should this topic have? And and we always have to slow down and say, let's you know, let's take a step back. Um, the first thing you really want to evaluate and understand when trying to write learning objectives is the big picture. So, what are your organizational goals and objectives related to the topic you're aiming to train on? What are the business partners and the business units that are related to that topic? Um, what are their goals and objectives and how do they relate to the goals and objectives? Um, and it's it's really important to make sure you understand the big picture, the high level view of the objectives related to that topic. That way you can be consistent all the way through. So for the sake of today's conversation around objectives, I want to choose a topic and, and for us to stick to that topic and kind of walk everybody through tactically some different uh things related to goals and objectives. So today's topic is going to be around onboarding. So so how do we onboard employees? How are you currently onboarding employees, potentially onboarding employees uh, for your organization? And uh, some goals around onboarding that we want to set from an organizational level that you would you know come across that would help you make good decisions is getting employees on the job faster uh, and ramping up proficiency. So what does that mean? Uh, making sure that through their onboarding process, whether it's a 30-day onboarding or 90-day onboarding, uh, depending on your, your industry, it could be a variety of timeframes. Um, you make sure you get them the information quickly. Um, the second thing is automating and self, self-paced self training opportunities to reduce uh, leaders' time away from the floor. And the last one is just being able to provide better knowledge to your customers. So there are some objectives that you can you know put into place around onboarding. I like the topic. I think it's relatable to many organizations. And it's really just about identifying where are those gaps, what are your needs, but really setting some guideposts that I think realistically that keeps your business partners, the training team, anyone else who's going to play a part in this, all shooting for the same target. And that's what this that first step is really all about. And I think when it comes to evaluating the big picture, um, one of my favorite terms in in solutions providing in businesses is becoming a reverse engineer. So what does that mean? Understanding the big picture and making sure that once you get, you kind of have your North star that you're working towards, all the decisions that cascade down from that can be made 
um, in relation to that big picture or those overarching objectives. Um, and it allows you to be effective in how you're making decisions. And then when, when we're going to talk about design, we're going to talk about um, how leaders assess content, we're talking about reporting, but it allows you to always have that, that foundation of why your decisions were made around the objectives you had. Um, and related to, I guess, being a reverse engineer, one of the things that I want to make sure everyone's considering when they're understanding the big picture is, and we've talked about this before, is making sure all stakeholders' opinions, um, I think you talked about it when we talked the six stages of change management in one of our past episodes, is making sure all the stakeholders are considered. And, and interviewing them and interviewing those business partners is a big part of making sure you understand that overall goal in the process. So one of the things that I think is really important too is so often when we're trying to get training at the table sooner, we're trying to get training to be part of a larger strategy. We talked about this in last week's episode where we were really focusing on getting to the table sooner for like UI UX even. One of the things that you really want to focus on is getting that buy-in from leaders to think this way up front. And a large uh, component of being able to sell that effectively or get an immediate buy-in is that you're tackling a business need, not just a training need. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about here is, can you always link back to an organizational requirement, not just a training requirement, that this is compliance or that this is um, something training would like to get rolled out, but it really is addressing that specific business need. That's going to get your leaders, stakeholders, uh, all these folks that have a voice in the room, more aligned, more on board and really try to push training for future. So you're also setting that stage too. And allows you, it allows you to ask yourself the question, um, you know, do you, does your individual training objective that you may come across when, when building an individual learning or a, a curriculum um, meet the overall goal? And, you know, if it does, then proceed. Um, and if it doesn't, why not? And, you know, is it still relevant to the overall business? Um, I think it understanding that overall goal really sets the stage for you to make good decisions when developing your training. That's a really good transition to our next segment. All right. So as we're talking about individual objectives and we're talking about how it links back to your overall business requirements, you're going to hear us now want to talk about You've gotten the go-ahead. You know what your needs are. You want to start writing your content to meet certain requirements. And this is where you have your first opportunity to really align your training back to a business objective. Now let's start to build that content in a way that, that meets those needs. And a couple things are really going to be around your objectives. What is your content meant to do? And as a learner, what should you be able to do? What behaviors should you be able to perform or change as you come out of this training to more positively impact that performance. Uh, I have some guidance, guiding principles when I talk about objectives with any of our writing teams. Um, there are a couple of words I just can't stand. Uh, so personal pet peeves in the objective world are understand and know as words. So I like to say those are no-nos for me. Uh, and specifically, it comes back to it's not that they're bad words in general, and they're really easy to apply in learning, but they're not measurable. They're hard to adjust. It's hard to visibly observe someone's understanding or their knowledge um, without maybe a test, perhaps. But that doesn't necessarily equate to long-term success. We like to stick to uh, uh, action-based verbs when you're writing your objectives. Um, there is also something called the objective pyramid, which will kind of show different levels of progression uh, of verbs. So you can kind of assess, is this a beginner level course? Is this more advanced? What are you trying to accomplish? And then again, action verbs only because those are easy for your leaders to be able to go back and observe for behavior change. Those are 
some kind of keys to just objective writing that I think we don't want to lose as part of the conversation. Going back to Daniel's point on, are your individual training meet objectives meeting a particular goal? This is your first opportunity as you're writing them to go back, assess. And if you're not meeting in those objectives, they should go away. This is going to help keep your content more concise, more on point. And it really speaks back to what we've talked about in prior episodes as well with micro learning. This is your first chance to really start to pare down some of your training and meet that micro learning need. And I think that's one of the things that people have asked us for quite a bit outside of the podcast as we've had these conversations is how do I start the evaluation to get myself to micro training? Evaluating of your, your objectives for these uh, moments that go beyond or outside of the scope of what you really want to talk about. That's your first opportunity to trim down, maybe put those objectives in another course that has a different purpose and really start to pare that down. Yeah, I think on your on your point, Scott, one of the things that you mentioned that we come across a lot is is we we you know work with subject matter experts and and you create the content and the objectives, and then they want to put in a topic or they want to add a page or a paragraph of text and. It has value in terms of the business and it has value in terms of what what we're trying to teach, but it has no relation to the overall objectives of the course um, or the training. And those are moments where you say, okay, this may be a required piece of training that's you know part of onboarding. Maybe that information just needs to be recommended or can be voluntary for the user to um, come across or interact with later on and can live separately. Um, that way, when you're in a an onboarding curriculum or you're going down that path, um, you're only providing the relative information that's relating to your overall goal. Absolutely. And I think that one of the other ways you can start to approach this is as you're writing these objectives and you find, you know, I've got five, six, seven, there's probably a good number in there, three. I think there's some science around threes typically in terms of memorization and consistency that you can always throw out. Too many can cause some cognitive overload. This is another great opportunity to pare it down. What's a, what's the number your organization wants to stick to and kind of pare that down to whether it's one objective for each piece of content or three maybe on a longer course, whatever that might be that is achievable for the learner. That doesn't mean you should throw out the other objectives. Those, those can become part of another course. And a lot of times what we see is wanting to build from a very early block of uh, we approach it as tell me, show me, let me do. So that tell me, which is a lot of just delivering information then trying to also add in the demonstration component, which is the show me or let me do, which is the practice. Take opportunities to let a learner absorb at the first stage and then slowly build to that progression model of achievement application over multiple courses and build a curriculum out of it. So we're not talking about longer seat times. It might still be 10 minutes overall, but it's three chunked out pieces of three minutes. Let them learn the concept, then show them how they can apply that, and then give them practice moments to actually put put it into use. So, so I think that those are some really good points where you can start to kind of build in micro learning, still address all of your needs, be able to evaluate whether something is outside of sort of the scope of the, of the need of the business, um, and really make sure your objectives are clear, concise, um, and measurable. So... Uh, Many people also use like the SMART model. There's a, you know, whatever acronym kind of aligns to your business or you're more familiar with, but that's going to help you really target in on, is this something that I'm going to be able to observe and measure as a leader as we move forward? If we take that all back to our example, um, so we're looking at onboarding, we're trying to reduce time, uh, time to be proficient um, and to take leaders and give them an opportunity to, to step off the floor. Um, we want to assess at the end of that onboarding period, you might have objectives that are similar to, uh, you should be able to navigate a sale in POS. You should be able to describe the warranty policy. You should be able to punch in and out for your shift and breaks. 
Obviously, these are just a couple that might come out of a much larger curriculum for onboarding, but these are action items that I should be able to go. I should be able to witness that as a leader. I should be able to coach on those points and really as a learner be able to execute on. I think it's a really good understanding, Scott, of, of that whole kind of process. And and one thing I'll, we always encourage our client partners in relation to all of this is just keep asking yourself when building content, does this relate to the overall goal? And just make sure you're you're checking the that box to make sure you continue down the correct path um, and don't get too spread out kind of in your overall design of content. So the next realistic progression when it comes to your learning objectives are how can executives, managers be involved in providing feedback towards the objectives, but also providing coaching and all sorts of, of different opportunities in you know allowing the employee to progress in their in their job. So when you're writing those original objectives and you're making sure that they align with your organizational objectives, a big part of the evaluation around it is the coachability of your objectives. Do your objectives provide the opportunity for an employee or the learner to self-assess is number one. And, and number two is do your objectives provide the opportunity for a manager to coach, interactive, and evaluate um, the learner on what they're, they're taking. So going back to our topic of onboarding, when we create those objectives and we, we're creating a curriculum that would associate itself to onboarding, we design our trainings, at what cadence do we want there to be self-assessment or knowledge check or test out or whatever you, you know, your business may call it or refer to it as, um, just making sure that they've engaged and then allow them to provide feedback on what they've learned um, and if they feel like they've actually retained information. Um, and then the second cadence you want to and kind of interval you want to understand is at what point do you want to objectively insert uh, their manager's ability to evaluate and, and coach on the topic. So uh, taking that self-assessment, reviewing the self-assessment and, and seeing when you can provide practical, even theoretical or, or tactical uh, guidance around what they've retained and engaged um, in their information to maybe reduce that time to floor, like we talked about, that time to get in front, um, that proficiency of ramp up and make sure that they're in a good place overall and they continue down that that onboarding path. Uh, it's one of the, the biggest components of those overall objectives is, you know, we want to provide a self-paced onboarding process. Uh, to allow the leader to continue to do their day-to-day -day job, continue to be on the floor doing what they need to do, but then also be efficient with those coaching opportunities. So you want to make sure when you're, you're developing those objectives, you really ask yourself the question, are there coaching points? Are there, is there opportunity for leaderships to come in and give feedback um, around the topic? And your coaches can't be uh, ignored in all of this. Obviously, the goal is to reduce their time off the floor, but we want them to still be a part of this process. And uh, any good leader in the training space is going to spend time uh, both promoting the program. So I think there's a there's a front side capability, but that's probably a different set of objectives just for a leader, how to, how to coach from the onboarding process. And so you're talking about different training there, but setting them up for success. But as you're building your curriculum, you also can really employ leaders on the backside of training as well as a reinforcement tool, that coaching moment. Um, it's great to have these objectives that are already pre-prepared, ready for them to go, that they clearly understand, and that again, give them a strong target to go back and measure that employee's proficiency, readiness, whatever that is, whatever objectives you've defined for them, 
so that they're helping land that message that this wasn't just a one-time training. This wasn't a just check the box moment. That leader's going to come back in, provide coaching, correct any misconceptions or, or missed moments in the training. They can reevaluate that. They can help guide them along. They can help set them on the path for the next uh, learning or training as well. I think your opportunity to use leaders to really drive home your objectives is something that too often is is kind of a miss, um, but you really have that opportunity and that it's also going to reduce your your retention drop, right? So we've all gone to learning, we've completed it. And at some point, and it, it depends on the training and then the study you look at, but it can be seven days after, it can be 24 hours after, it might be 30 days after, you start to lose or not retain as much because you get new information or you change your direction or you change your emphasis. Having leaders step back in for those coaching moments brings it back to light, helps reduce that retention drop over time. Um, so they're staying with it longer. They're keeping that top of mind and they don't tend to lose it. And they have the chance to actually commit it to long-term memory as well. Yeah. One of the things that I, with onboarding specifically, that is, is really interesting to evaluate is role-based personalized learning um, and reducing friction for the employee. So, you know, you can, you can have onboarding paths that are related to the day-to-day job tasks of um, an employee, but it's very difficult from a self-paced automated onboarding process to personalize the learning experience. So there may be information that the person you hired already knows. And anytime that you spend it, you force them or require them to take a, a training on something that they already know, um, those are the moments where you can create friction in your process and potentially lose the, the engagement um, of your learner, potentially increase turnover, et cetera. So inputting the leader in those moments, you are able to ask yourself the question of, um, let's do a self-assessment and see what they know. And then now let's also do a leadership assessment and see where the gap is. Um, where is the gap? And that, that area between the self-assessment and the leadership assessment is, is from a evaluation and a manager or, or boss, for lack of a better term, input is, is so important. I'm going to use a sports analogy because I'm a coach, but onboarding for me is, is a freshman athlete that comes to the university. And my biggest thing that I always have to check in on is where do they think they are and where are they actually? And how do we close the gap? And I think in, in whether it's in retail or, or anywhere else, that's a big proponent of the, that leadership evaluation process. And the more you can drop leaders in for the evaluation throughout the process and consider it ahead of time when you're planning um, related to your objectives, the more effective it can be. I'm going to take a little bit of just a left turn because I want to try to bring back a thought that I think is relevant to kind of our past conversations. And since we're talking about onboarding, let's let's keep in mind these in this example, this is the first time your employees are going to see your training, right? They're, they're just joining your organization. They're just getting onboarded. We've all probably had a job where we were put in a room and we watched a bunch of HR videos and it wasn't the best experience, right? So keep in mind as well, these these objectives, along with things like UI, UX, and micro learning, and an attention to their time and and their effort, these are all really great first steps for you to sell the training and learning brand of your organization right up front for that that employee. You get a chance to be personalized, as Daniel was mentioning. You get a chance to speak to their role. Any of those are great opportunities as well. But if your first experience was sort of the self-paced training environment of, an, of the organization you've just joined as a brand new employee is these meandering thoughts 
or disjointed objective moments, or you're supposed to kind of compare three different things that don't really align to a, a directive as an employee to understand your focus. If that's your first moment, that can be really uncomfortable in terms of your confidence or your affinity to that brand. Onboarding in this case is a really great opportunity to set objectives, make sure they're very clear, they understand what they're going to do, and then they'll go out into their job with confidence when they have that proficiency and that knowledge. They're going to feel that much more prepared by an organization that's dedicated that time. Uh, and then hopefully you have the leadership backing as well to go behind it. So again, small diversion in the topic, but I thought it, it kind of fit nicely there with our conversation. No, it's really it's really relevant when you say that, you know, this is a, throughout your job, you could be taking 20, 30 e-learnings a year. You could be attending a couple different in-person workshops, lunch and learns with your area manager or your leader. If you've had a good interaction um, and outcome with the L&D department of your organization or the HR department, depending on who you know, handles training for um, your company, those employees are going to be more engaged moving forward. Uh, it's just the reality. Of the situation. They're going to feel like they're going to be able to get something out of it. And I think we mentioned it back a few episodes ago. How are you personalizing my um, my talent path? How are you helping me improve in my, um, my job or progress through potential um, growth opportunities? It all relates back to that initial you know, onboarding that initial interaction. And if it really speaks well to the overall objectives of the organization that you're a part of. So I think it's all very, very um, important to kind of draw those correlations. We absolutely want training to feel like an opportunity or a, I don't know, necessarily want to say an entertainment or a, a, an exciting moment, but we'd love to have leaders feel like there's real value in it and that it's not a chore. And this is a great opportunity to do that. <laughs> All right, we're going to transition into the last kind of component that we we want to look at when we're looking at objectives. And we've kind of moved past where the learner is involved. And we are now, the training has happened. We're, we want to look at how do we evaluate, right? Which is really bringing it back to point one, which was how do we evaluate the business need? How are we building towards that? We now want to look at the end game of this is did we meet those objectives? Did we move the needle in a meaningful way against the business needs? Are we building... Uh, our reporting, our KPIs, our ROI measurement, whatever that strategy looks like, are we getting it into a place where uh, we can now go back and tell leaders like, hey, well, we, we evaluated the business, we found the gap, we addressed that through training, and here's what we think we've come up with. So this is not something that happens after the training happens, by the way. This is something you have to start planning for very early on because you need to make sure you're gathering the right data points. Are you really evaluating on the right key behaviors and metrics? What is the needle you're trying to move? Make sure that data is in place so that when you get to this point, those objectives have hopefully been uh, applied and are impacting that goal, right? So this can't be at the end and say, did it work? It's got to be a little further ahead than that. It really should be part of your planning phase. But now you have the data, you've run your program. Um, are you accurately pulling that reporting and evaluating your objectives on that? As we all know, when we talk about things like the ADDIE process in terms of design and development, that last point is evaluation. And that always leads back to going back and saying, what could we do better? Um, we talked about it with UI UX. It's cyclical. That's no different for content writing and, and design and development. You're going to run this program. You're going to learn some things. Hopefully, they're all successes. That'd be great. But the reality is a few things maybe didn't land as well as you wanted them to. This is your opportunity to go back, reevaluate, assess, do we need more training? Do we need different training? Do we need to just change this training slightly? Um, sometimes verbiage and words, maybe that objective wasn't as clear as it needed to be. You can go back and refine. Your reporting is going to tell you that. 
You're also going to learn are there knowledge gaps. So what do we continue uh, to miss on perhaps as a result of that training? If we look at this from the example of our onboarding, this might be looking at things like Daniel kind of mentioned self-assessments or coaching assessments. Are they aligned? Is there a huge knowledge gap there that we're not hitting? Are we seeing self-assessments from a pre-assessment and a post-assessment that tells us the knowledge gain isn't as much as we had hoped for? Are we actually reducing the amount of time from date of hire to uh, productive sales metrics? Is that our goal? Are we tracking scores? Are people scoring well in our tests? Uh, is there certain questions that maybe aren't hitting? There's a lot of different ways we could approach this. Again, a lot of it defines back to what were our objectives up front. Um, so in our case, we said proficiency to time on the floor. We could easily just make that comparison from uh, date of hire to productive time spent on the floor. That would be a really easy way. And then leaders could also be assessed on how long they're spending in onboarding. Um, that might be anecdotal, sort of level one Kirkpatrick, kind of just how do you feel about it surveys to actual time tracking of time spent in onboarding. Yeah, I think it's, you mentioned it early on there. You have to have this conversation early on in the objective process. It really should map directly to what your organization believes and, and tracks on it, what's going to be asked of you. One of the things that we see quite significantly is there isn't, you know, you have to have the business metrics that go along with training to make sure you can draw parallels. So one of the things that in retail specifically, there are so many factors related to sales. So we have a lot of conversations around, you know, a better trained employee is going to represent our brand better. Um, and, you know, that should relate to more sales um, because there aren't any metrics that are, are evaluated and carried on and discussed up front uh, when you're writing those objectives. So making sure you have the conversation early and have the conversation often so you can report back and the biggest thing is exactly what Scott mentioned. It, it, is a, it is a big circle. You can't be afraid of the data that you're going to get. So you may launch an onboarding curriculum to hit on, you know, to save time off floor or to ramp up um, the efficiency. And, and you, you may have wanted to get a 25% uh, decrease in time off floor. And you may only get a 17%. And, and the big part of the evaluation is why did that occur? Um, and making sure you aren't afraid of that data, because a lot of times when you're talking about KPIs with your leadership, people can be afraid of that data. So make sure you're using it to your advantage and you're really evaluating it. And not just when the, you know, when your first your year is over, uh, you want to watch the trend of that data kind of month over month or whatever it, it whatever's applicable to your, uh, your business, but making sure that you continue to to look at the data related to those KPIs you set, set up, up front. Yeah. And if you don't do it up front, the reality is you're going to get to the end of that that training period or that that cycle of evaluation and you're going to get something along the lines of just go pull me a lot of data throw it all at the wall and tell me what sticks well the reality is that's not that's not meeting your objectives that's not meeting that business need um, and that isn't necessarily showing an accurate picture of what really happened so that you can continue to improve um, but I think we've all been there that that's that's the ask of leadership is like yeah I don't, I don't really know go throw some stuff at it we didn't think about how we want to measure it tell me what worked. And sometimes the reality is that's that's a stretch to be able to pull that together uh, and it can make it really uncomfortable. The other thing that, and look, I am, I am admittedly, I've said it many times, I'm a nerd. Um, it's what I love. I started my career doing analysis. I was a reporting guy in the learning space trying to figure out how to tell these stories. And for me, that's what data is. It's an opportunity to go back, look at what success should look like, make it anecdotal, try to actually tell the story of what data can do. 
Um, data doesn't have to just look like an Excel spreadsheet that terrifies people or a series of just numbers and KPIs. There's a story to be told there. And I think that's part of the learning and development cycle in terms of being able to be more front and center, be invited to the table more often is not just deliver a grid of spreadsheets or completion numbers, but also be able to say, this is where we won. And maybe sometimes this is where we missed. And, but here's my plan to come back and get even better at it the next time. And I think you get that opportunity at the end as you're really evaluating, but you have to be pretty honest with the data and then try to not just, again, deliver bad news or good news, but tell the story around what, what that news means and how you want to approach it going forward. One of the things that, and this is related to sales data, but one of the things that really interests me all the time with evaluation of training or onboarding or whatever, or marketing, whatever it is, with just evaluation of data is, well, you always hear the conversation of like, ah, oh, our sales are up 17% or we've reduced our time on floor by by 13%. The question I always, I'm one who asks is like, well, why not Why not 20%? And I know I'm sure leaders, um, some people are cringing when leaders do that to them. But I think going back to evaluating objectives and always looking to start and improve your L&D process, always trying to push. So yeah, if you set off to create an onboarding curriculum against all of these objectives and you reduce time on floor by 18%, you should be looking at that data to, to figure out how we can get it to 25% and still have effective learning going on in our organization. Because if you can continue to move the needle, um, you save the company money, uh, you save the organization uh, dollars, the budget looks better, all of those things that L&D from a big picture perspective is supposed to deliver can be evaluated. So just keep challenging yourself and your department to, to move the needle where when possible. Very good. All right. Well, I know we took a few diversions in here, so I want to just recap the day, um, what we kind of talked about in terms of being better at getting the most out of your objectives. Um, just a reminder, level one, we want to make sure we are getting started by evaluating the big picture. Make sure you're looking at the business needs, really addressing uh, how are you going to be the most effective. Step two is really about designing your content and making sure you're writing objectives that are active driven, they're behavior based, and they're observable for your leaders. Step three is really making sure you're executing on a leadership strategy. Can they coach what your objectives are? And is that designed to better uh, navigate your employee's assignment? And then taking what you've learned, being fair and honest with those KPIs, making sure you're defining that up front so that you're gathering the right information and then tell your story to leadership. So hopefully that helps you get a little bit more involved with the objective writing process as you're developing your content, gives you a few actionable items that you can can take back and apply in your business and your organization and ultimately get better training out of it. That's really the goal behind all of this. So if you have any other takes, if you've had other success stories or metrics or uh, behaviors that you've employed for objectives, we'd of course would love to hear from you. We'll tell you how to do that at the end of the show. Um, but let's move on. Come on, get happy. All right. At the end of every show, we leave you with a positive moment, something that makes us happy in the world today. For me, we talked about it a little bit yesterday, uh, last week, uh, where I talked about Star Wars Day as one of my favorite non-official holidays of the year, and that May the 4th was with me, as always. I also told you that I love to see what ridiculous shopping opportunities are out there for me. So that leads me to, the, to today's positivity point, which is Lego. I love Lego. Uh, it has been one of my favorite toys for, I guess, most of my life. But I particularly love Star Wars Legos. And on Star on May the 4th, every year, it's like uh, opening Christmas presents. I get to see what the ad brings me. What are they offering me? Not a sponsor, by the way. But I get to go out, and I went hog wild. I got myself the full line of new Star Wars helmets. I got myself the Ultimate Collector Series A-Wing. 
I am uh, about halfway through my builds. Uh, I love it not just because it makes me happy and it's my little zen moment as I build Legos, but it's an activity I also share with my kids. And they love Legos as much as I do. Weirdly, they actually just love watching me build complex Legos, which is uh, kind of a joy for both of us. Uh, and so I, it's an opportunity for me to spend time with my kids. It's an opportunity for me to have a little uh, decompression moment and just play with toys and build something really cool. So for me, it's all about Lego for the, this week. Awesome. And uh, my my positivity point is really uh, for the day is there, I'm a big fan of The Office. I don't know if there's any, uh, you know, Scott, I don't know how you feel about The Office, but uh Big recent fan. recent convert. Uh, my wife and okay. I just got into it. We're about four seasons in now, so uh, I'm a little late to the show, but we do love it. It, I think, after your first like four or five seasons, it starts to slide off a little bit. Season one, two, and three though are just anyway pure gold. So you're telling me I'm on the cliff right now, and I'm about to fall off. That's what I like to hear. Very I mean, good. yeah, no problem. So, so John Krasinski, obviously Jim, uh, he has a a YouTube show that he launched when all of this happened, and it's called Some Good News. And he just every week he he basically does some sort of skit or interaction with his friends, his um, different actors or actresses who he knows, uh, other celebrities. Uh, and this past week, he contacted a couple uh, and they had a Zoom wedding that he attended. And he ended up bringing the entire cast of The Office on the Zoom call. Uh, they did did a dance um, on the call and uh, it was it was pretty funny um, to, to have literally everyone there uh, you know, Steve Crow was there, and 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 Mindy Kaling, and all, everybody else. It was it was really great to see that all um, happen, and just see how happy it made everybody, and and everybody you know interact. I feel like it's one of those shows that um, is just timeless, and it seems like everybody with from the Office cast has no problem being you know typecasted or painted that they were from the Office because of its success. So it was great. I enjoyed it. Uh, had a good laugh. All right, that will do it for us today. Thanks again. I'm Scott Babcock. He's Daniel Mendonca, and we will talk to you next week. See you later. Thank you for listening to another episode of the If You Build It, Will They Learn podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Join the conversation by emailing podcast at haylight.com or on social media platforms at Haylight Inc. And be sure to check us out on the web at www.haylight.com. That's H-A-L-I-G-H-T dot com.